All right. Good morning, church. I'm glad you're here this morning. Welcome to those of you online as well. Uh, we got all kinds of things that we're going to work through and, and get at today as we get into the Word together. Um, and before I do that, I want to just add one more announcement of my own here. And it's, it's related to our staff and um, a need that we have right now here at this church on staff. We are looking for a new church administrator. Somebody to, to help out in the office to work uh, on a part-time level and hours are, are kind of flexible in there. But here's, here's what's going on. Back when I was on sabbatical, um, we hired a church administrator. Her name was Corey. And uh, after a little while, things changed in her personal life um, to where she had to step down. She had to step out of the role. And so since then, um, Kim Clam has been holding that role down and holding the fort down literally um, on a real part-time basis. And um, we went through the process of just sort of evaluating where we're at as a, as a church staff and as a ministry, got some outside consultation on that, and uh, came down to a... Um, uh, a revised job description of what this role looks like uh, and all the specifics that go with that to make sure that we're making the right move and we're going to find the right person. And so um, we are looking for that person right now, somebody who will handle some financial and reporting responsibilities in the office, some office management stuff, um, organizing things like processes around the facility um, doing HR and a lot of other different things that a church administrator would do. Now, that updated job description is on our website, and we are going to be actively looking for someone to fill this role. And so two things, I want to ask that if you feel that this might be something that's a good fit for you, ideally we would love to hire from within the church family. And so please come and talk to us about that. Check out the job description on the website and let us know if this is something that you're interested in. And secondly, if you are thinking of somebody right now and you're like, oh, you know, so-and-so would be absolutely perfect for this, um, will you tell us that as well? Make a recommendation. Let us know who's out there and who might fit this really well. Um, we'd love to move forward as a ministry and just um, keep on leaning into what God has for us and we really need this role to be filled. And so we're ready for it. We feel like we've got clarity around what this looks like and what kind of person this could be. Um, so just pray with us that God provides the right person to take this role of church administrator. And um, we, we are just trusting him, trusting God to, to fill that role and, uh, and keep us moving forward here. All right, uh, you are going to need your Bibles today, so if you've got a Bible, get it out. If you've got a Bible app, open it up. Uh, if you do not have a Bible with you this morning, just put your hand up in the air, and our ushers have some that they're bringing around, and they will give you a Bible that you can use to follow along in. And if you are receiving one of those Bibles and you do not currently have a Bible of your own, please keep the one that you receive. Um, we are, we're working our way through some, um, some passages in the Bible right now, and it's really important to have God's word in front of us. All right. Last Sunday, we started a new series of messages called Unlikely. And um, we are looking together in this series at our journey of followers as followers of Jesus. And we're looking at some parallels in that journey to the journey that God's people have taken throughout history and the journey that Jesus made during his time here on earth. And my goal in this series is to help us all understand and embrace 
what it means to be followers of Jesus who guide others into the journey along the way. That life, the life of a Jesus follower, is just that. It is a life. It's a journey that we take our whole lives. We're on it right now, in this moment. We are on this journey together. It's a day-by-day, moment-by-moment experience during which we are never alone. We share this journey with Jesus. We share this journey with each other and with God's family throughout history. We're never alone. And it is a journey that is filled with growth and with flourishing, with purpose, with impact. It's a tremendous journey and it is worth the look. God has this journey laid out for us. He has a plan, and we are surrendering ourselves along the way to his plan, to his path, the map that he has created for us. He knows the way. He provides the guide. And, and I find this to be quite incredible, this is not something that we do for God. It's something that we do with God. We join him. We're going to increase our awareness of what God's doing, and we're going to join him in this journey in ways that we may not have done so before now. Last week, we introduced the biblical component of this journey. We're going to follow a series of psalms that's referred to as Songs of Ascent. The Songs of Ascent. This is a series of psalms that God's people have sung throughout the ages as they made their annual pilgrimages to Jerusalem. And so last week we looked at Psalm 120, the first one, and we were reminded that we are sojourners on this journey. We are people who temporarily dwell in a kingdom that is very much opposed to God. And I'll remind you of this again, it's a spiritual kingdom with its own set of values. It's not a physical kingdom, it's not the people around us. They are as vulnerable to the influence of this kingdom as we are. It is a spiritual kingdom ruled by the enemy, and it's a temporary kingdom that will one day no longer dwell here in this world. When Jesus returns, he will eliminate this temporary kingdom and restore this earth to the way he created it to be. And his kingdom with him will reign here forever. You ready for that day? Bring it on. Meanwhile, we sojourn. It's what we're doing. We travel this path, living in the desert, finding everything that we need in God. We are not citizens of the temporary spiritual kingdom that reigns here. We are citizens of God's eternal kingdom. And while we temporarily dwell in this earthly kingdom, God provides all that we need to flourish in the desert. I'll keep coming back to this as we progress through this series. The bottom line is this. Between the time... When sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden and the time when Jesus comes back and restores the world, we live in a dark world, but we don't live without light. We live with the light of Christ and the opportunities surround us daily to join God in shining his light into the darkness around us and he invites us to join him in that mission all the time.
All right, so turn now to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. This morning we're going to look at the next psalm that the Israelites would sing on their way to Jerusalem. Now just imagine that. Um, This was a tradition. Imagine your family on vacation singing these psalms. Right? It's just something very different for us, but this was part of their tradition. Last week's psalm um, was a bit of a tough one to absorb. There was some lamenting in that psalm about the challenge of living in the desert for the time being. How long do we have to do this? Well, I would imagine David would have been quite shocked to hear that thousands of years later, God's people would still be sojourning. But here we are, still in the desert, but still flourishing because God is with us. And today we're going to focus on that beautiful reality. So here then is Psalm 121. Enjoy everything that this psalm has to give us. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I want to invite you to keep that psalm in front of you throughout the rest of the service. And you may have noticed already that something's wrong in the universe this morning. I'm up here preaching and we haven't even sung one song yet. (laughs) Sorry if that threw you off. Well, there's a reason for that. And that reason has everything to do with this psalm that I just read. Whenever I've read Psalm 121, I've found myself wanting to respond in some way. As we go through the psalm, you'll see why I react like that. And maybe you already reacted like that. Maybe these words just make you want to say something or sing something or pray something. These are powerful words. And I've already heard, uh, maybe more than ever before, from some of you who read ahead, something that I strongly recommend. And you let me know just how much encouragement you get from this psalm. Well, there's much, much more encouragement coming as we dig into these words together this morning. So keep it in front of you. Um, Honestly, even through the time of worship and song that we're going to have in a little while as we close out the service later, keep the psalm in front of you and keep looking at it. Keep letting it soak in. Let's explore together. I want to go through the psalm verse by verse and highlight some of the things that I saw as I studied and reflected on this. There may be more things that you see and things that have an impact on you as you look at the psalm, and I I just invite you not to hesitate to share those things with me. I love hearing those things, how God's Spirit leads and speaks and shines light on God's Word for us. And so if He shows you something that I don't mention this morning and it really means something to you, just share that with me. The psalm opens by presenting a situation to us. The writer of the psalm is looking for help and begins this psalm by inviting us into his quest for help. 
He's on this quest. Do you ever need help? Of course you do. You're human. Humans need help. We all need help. Last week we acknowledged that we are sojourners. We live within the the realm of a temporary earthly kingdom for the time being. It's a spiritual kingdom that cannot provide what we need to flourish eternally. Staying with the desert analogy, in order for us to flourish in the desert, we need help. So did the writer of Psalm 121. Where did he look for help? Well, he admits that he lifted up his eyes to the hills. And I love this. This imagery can produce at least a few things that I'm going to touch on, a few trains of thought. For example, let me show you a picture of where I grew up. This is the backdrop of the city that I grew up in. This is Vancouver. I love this city. I miss this city a lot. Mountains have always been a symbol to me of God's majesty. Um, After living in Vancouver for most of my childhood, we moved to Calgary, Alberta, and the Rockies were not far from Calgary, and I had that as my backdrop and my playground as well. Mountains create in me a sense of awe and worship. So when I read verse 1, I could easily see this as David looking up to the hills and being reminded of God's majesty. In fact, the mountains are used just a little later in the Psalms, another song of ascent. Psalm 125 verse 2 says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. And so this verse can definitely lead us to look to the mountains for encouragement, for inspiration, for a reminder of who God is and the fact that he's there for us. But I learned something else about the context of this verse. This is just another way that we can take this statement. We don't know for sure, but this is another way. At the time that it was written, the, the worship of false gods was very common Idols and shrines to these false gods were built high on the tops of the hills that surrounded Jerusalem. They were visible reminders to the people that were around there of, that those fake gods were there and, and they worshipped those false gods and were reminded of those false gods by looking up to the hills where those shrines and monuments were. They would look to the hills for a reminder of the presence of their false god. And so this statement in verse 1 may have simply been an acknowledgement that there were many around the writer at that time who would do just that. They would look to the hills for their help to their false gods, but David would not. And that's what he says in verse 2. He says, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Well, many people worshiped gods that represented the earth, the sun, the moon, the harvest, the birds, trees, whatever it might have been. David makes it clear that he worships the creator, not the created. And that's where his help comes from. His help comes from the Lord. And David uses the name Yahweh in reference to God. And this is a name that God uses to speak of himself 
It simply means to be and is often attached to other descriptive words for God that highlight his character. It's also often written in all caps in our Bible. Yahweh is God, the one true God. He is the great I am. This is a truth that we live by daily. Our help comes from God. Our culture tells us that we are the source of our own help. Whatever we're facing, we can handle it. We are sufficient for it. We just have to try harder. We have to believe in ourselves more. We have to look within. But remember that we also are the creation, not the creator. We are not sufficient to provide for ourselves the help that we need. We have God. I want you to just think back, even on this past week, just before coming here. How have you needed help? Was it help with your personal life? Was it help with provision? Was it help with a difficult situation? Was it help with a relationship? Was it help with perspective? Was it help with illness? Was it help with communicating something? Was it help with something requiring wisdom? Where did you seek help? In yourself? Or you may be looking for help in any source that wasn't God. Or what if, as you look back over the past week, you just don't see a time when you needed help? What then? Is it possible that your help already came from the Lord without you even asking because God takes care of his children? Did I thank him for that? And by thanking him, did I build a sense of dependence on God that will make me much more likely to turn to him in a situation where I do need help? My help before or after the need arises comes from the Lord. Let's move on to verse 3. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Uh, growing up in Vancouver, which you just saw a picture of, um, we did have the privilege of the ocean being right to our west and the mountains to the north, but we also had the challenge of earthquakes. And I remember times growing up when the ground shook and we had things fall off the walls and off shelves. I lived through a pretty harsh earthquake in Haiti, um, not the one that they faced back in 2010, I was here then. That one took thousands of lives and they just faced that memory back on January 12th, the anniversary of that massive earthquake in Haiti. When David writes that God will not let our feet be moved, that term moved meant that God will not let our foundation be shaken. We are not unsteady in his kingdom and as his family and there's more clarity on that coming in just a few minutes. Then it says that he who keeps us will not slumber. Let's focus on a couple key words here. The word keeps is a very important word in this song. It's where the title for this message comes from. And you're going to see that this you're going to see this word six times in this psalm. He keeps us. God keeps us. He is our keeper. He will keep us. Let me translate this 
into a word that we're more likely to use in everyday conversation. God guards us. He is our guardian. God protects us. I need a guardian. Maybe you feel like you don't need a guardian, but I know I do. In this temporary kingdom that we live in, we are not capable of standing up to that kingdom ourselves. God, our guardian, provides the protection and strength that we need every single moment. He fights for us. Our battle, the Bible teaches us, is not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual power that surrounds us for now. And we need spiritual power to win this battle. And God is that power. God is our guardian. I will never forget the day in 10th grade when I came to school after a really stupid injury brought on by my own recklessness that left me looking like I had been in a bad fight. I had a massive black eye, left side of my face was bruised, and my right hand was in a cast. When I entered the school, one of my soccer teammates, this huge kid named Zane, saw me and proceeded to follow me down the hall, asking me from over my shoulder, who did this to you? Over and over again, he asked me, did that guy do it? Did this guy do it? He was much more than willing to fight my fight for me. He was a great friend. That was a powerful feeling. Until I finally caved and told him how my own stupidity led to the accident and that a basketball rim and a wooden bench were responsible for the damage. But for that brief moment, it felt so powerful. Well, now I have a guardian for life. And I'm told that he will not slumber. He will not be sleepy, groggy, careless, or inattentive. He will always, always be on guard for me. Verse 4 says, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. There's the word keep again. The one who guards Israel will not be sleepy, will not be unresponsive, and he will not sleep on the job. Let me briefly remind you of who we are. It comes out in this verse. Until the arrival of Jesus, God's people was the nation of Israel. Through Christ, we were invited by God to be adopted into his family, and we are now God's people. That's us. And I'm saying this because we need to know what the name Israel means. It means God prevails. God prevails. That is our identity, church. Here in the desert, awaiting the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ, yes, even here in the desert, in this world that's living under the temporary rule of Satan's kingdom, God prevails. He wins. He won. And he made it possible for us to thrive in this desert. Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against God's family, God's people. God prevails. That's who we belong to. We are his family. We are his people. We are his kingdom, and he prevails 
always. Verse 4 says that God will neither slumber nor sleep. He will not get drowsy. He will not stop paying attention. He will not take a nap. And I couldn't help being reminded of one of my favorite Bible stories. So here's a flashback for you. Let's go back to about a thousand years before Christ. In the time of Elijah the prophet. And this is such a fun story. (laughs) At that time Israel was a little off track. And Elijah, God's prophet, reminded them of that. And through Elijah, God challenged his people. He challenged Israel. and, And Elijah said to Israel... What is going on here? You have two minds. One, of you, one part of your mind says we worship Baal, a false god, a false belief system. The other part of your mind says we worship God. And Elijah comes into that situation and says, we need to straighten this out. You need to see that there is one God. And God prevails. And this is the only true God. And so he proceeds to point out to them the difference between Baal and God and the reality of God versus the false nature of Baal. And he goes about it in this incredible way. Elijah calls together the prophets of Baal and there were 450 of them. And at that time, Elijah refers to himself as I'm God's only prophet. It's just me right now. So bring all the prophets together and let's do a little demonstration here to show whose God is real. And so they went about the process of setting up two altars. He allowed the the prophets of Baal to go first and they built an altar and they slaughtered a bull and they put it on top of the altar and the deal was, call on your God to bring fire to the altar. We're not going to light it. Call on your God to bring fire to the altar. And so the prophets of Baal went about calling on Baal to light this altar on fire. Of course, it didn't happen. But they went at it for hours and hours and hours and they even got into the depths of their rituals which involved cutting themselves and, and stabbing themselves and there was blood flowing and they were, they were struggling like crazy. The, the prophets are going at it just trying to get Baal worked up to bring fire and show that he's real and nothing happens. There was no answer from heaven. So Elijah steps forth. And in his own cheeky way, he challenges the prophets of Baal. He says, so where is he? Where's your God? Is he having a little me time somewhere? Is he in the bathroom? And I'm not making that up. That's part of the verse. Is he sleeping? Does someone need to wake him up? Because they actually, in that belief system, had prophets who were assigned to wake up Baal from his nap. So when David talks of a God who does not slumber or sleep, guess what he's referring to? So Elijah has the altar built. And not only does he build this altar with stones and wood and put the sacrifice on top, he then calls for water. Lots and lots of water. And three times the altar is soaked in water. And he made a trench around the altar and that filled with water. And Elijah calls on God. He says, God, will you show yourself? And God does. And the fire came. And this was not just a little spark. 
that Elijah blew on and fanned into a flame, God sent fire from heaven and it not only burned up the offering, it burned up the altar, including the stones and the dust and the water in the trench. And Elijah proved, God proved, that there is one true God. And God prevailed. And that God never slumbers or sleeps. It was an amazing story. Verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. There's our guardian again. And I have this up here. Just to speak just a little bit as to what God does for us. And there are times when these lights up above me really bother my eyes. Um, so if I do this again, oh, I've got to be careful here. Where's the Nike logo? There we go. <laughs> nope, it's there too. <laughs> Don't want to have to make our tech team work to blur that out, right? <laughs> this is a picture of us in the desert. That's why I love this desert analogy. This is what God does for us in the midst of the desert. He protects us from the sun. He protects us from the world beating down on us, the world system, this temporary kingdom wearing us out, taking away our life, our energy, working us over. God's there as a shade. And when you're out in the heat, this makes a world of difference, doesn't it? You go and watch your kids play soccer in the middle of summer when it's 100 degrees. One of these goes a long ways. We know this. We know this image. We know the value of shade This is exactly what David says. He is your shade on your right hand. He's there to protect you in the desert. I learned something about camels recently. Uh, We got to ride camels in the desert when we lived in Senegal, and we got to ride them on the beach, and that was really cool. I knew that camels could go without water for weeks. Not like us. We can't make it three days without water. But with a camel... There is no indication that they're reaching the end of their supply. They can just keep walking on and on and on, even in the desert, but at some point their bodies just quit. They just stop working, and the camel drops to its knees and dies. With no warning. Even camels need protection from the sun. They have their limits. So do we. We can only handle so much of what we face here in the desert. But we have a God who guards us. He protects our spirits from the toll that the world takes on us. Verse 6 expands on this. It says, The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. And there are some Bible scholars who have explored the concept, concept of being struck by the moon at night. That kind of language may actually refer to being moonstruck, which is a state of mental imbalance. And think lunacy, lunar. It might refer to that. But what is clear to me is how this statement ties into what's coming. I hear the psalmist saying, God will guard us all the time, day and night. He always protects us. He's not on for the day and off for the night shift. He is our 24-7 guardian And David's going to reinforce that idea in verse 8. But first there's verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Let's talk about a couple of words in this verse. They're really important. 
the word evil can really trip people up here. Evil refers to distress, misery, injury, calamity. But we have to see this word in context. In context of this verse and in context with the whole Bible. Is this saying that God protects us from injury? Well, I just heard that God guards us by day and night, and I believe that. But I've been injured during the day, and I've been injured at nighttime. To the tune of 13 broken bones, 23 stitches, nerve tissue damage in my left eye, I have diabetes, I've had neuropathy, and I'm not going to get into my run, run in with typhoid and multiple other tropical diseases. Was God sleeping during those times? Did the priest forget to wake him up from his nap? Verse 7 tells us that God guards my life. And life is the other word that we need to understand. Life refers to our inner reality. You and I are, above all and for all of eternity, spirits. We are eternal spirits created by God to live forever. And in this temporary life here in the desert... Our spirits live within the layers of a vulnerable mind, emotions, and will, and a very vulnerable body. This body will be replaced, praise God, and my mind, emotions, and will are in the process of being transformed by Christ on a daily basis, but that process of perfecting these things will not end until this temporary earthly life is over or Jesus comes back. Meanwhile, there is a part of us, the truest eternal part of us, that God guards he guards our spirit. Our spirits, when surrendered to him, are safe in his hands. God guards what he holds in his hands, and there is nothing that can, th that can threaten whatever God holds in his hands. God does not fumble. But nowhere are we told that our bodies are being guarded from the evil around us. Sometimes that evil affects our bodies. Sometimes it affects our minds. Just look at the surge of mental health struggles in our culture. It can affect our emotions. It can affect our decision making. But God guards our spirits as we entrust ourselves to his guardianship. This is going to come up again in the series, and so if you're struggling to grasp the idea of our spirits being guarded by God and the rest of, us, rest of us being vulnerable, just hang on. We're going to come back to this a few times. God invites us to rest in the strength of his care. He guards us. And finally, there's verse 8. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Day and night, from start to finish, 
no matter where we're going or coming from, now and forevermore, God is our guardian. He watches over you and me. He watches over his family, his kingdom, his people. This is the truth that you and I live in. This is the confidence that God offers us on this journey through the desert. It's not an easy place to be, but God is with us. He will keep us, guard us, protect us, be there for us and with us now, right here in this moment and forevermore. If we stop and think about it, we can see the evidence of his goodness, his protection, his provision and his presence all over our lives. And we're going to spend the rest of our time today responding to God for all that he's done and for this reality of his guardianship and his presence with us. He is our guardian. Day or night, whether coming or going, now and forevermore in our lives, God is our guardian. Will you pray with me before we enter a time of worship and song? And before I start praying here, just do this. Just, just thank God. Thank him for being your guardian. Thank him for watching over you. Father, we do thank you this morning for who you are. You are remarkable beyond words. I thank you that no matter what, you prevail. That there is no power that comes even close to yours. That you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords right now in this moment and for all of eternity. And that you've invited us to surrender ourselves to your guardianship. To place ourselves in your hands, in your watchful care. Thank you for reminding us of that reality over and over again. Thank you that as we look at our lives, we can go back and recount over and over and over and over again the times when you have been faithful to us. We know that you keep us. You are our keeper. And we praise you for that. And Father, what we want to do now is just enter into a time together when we respond to you because of what you've shown us in this psalm. We want to lift up our voices to you. We want to open our hearts to you. We want to express gratitude to you. We want to humble ourselves and put ourselves before you and just thank you for all that you do for us and the fact that we can see evidence of you in our lives all over. So God, I invite you into this time to hear our words, to receive our thoughts and our emotions, and to accept our lives as living sacrifices. Thank you for being the one true God. 
for watching over us day and night, whether coming or going, now and forevermore. Thank you for being our guardian. We praise you for this. In the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen.